Hi, everyone. Welcome to 10 Points Parsha Podcast. This is Rabbi Israel Isaacs. I'm going to share with you today a brief synopsis of the Parsha and a couple of additional quick points. Last week's Parsha of Miketz left off with Binyamin, the youngest brother, being framed by Yosef for stealing Yosef's goblet, his gavia. The brothers all go back to Egypt. They're on their way to return to their father to the land of Canaan. And Yosef says that Binyamin will have to remain with him as his servant, and the other brothers will be allowed to leave and go back home. Yehuda steps up heroically, and during a long plea to Yosef, where he explains that the loss of Binyamin will be a devastating blow to his father Yaakov's health. He says he will take the place of his brother Binyamin, let Binyamin go, and Yehuda will remain as Yosef's servant. At that point, Yosef commands all the Egyptians to leave, and he privately and emotionally reveals himself as Yosef to his brothers. And amazingly, he seems to not bear a grudge. He says, And now do not be distressed, nor reproach yourselves for having sold me here, for it was to be a provider that God sent me ahead of you. And he says that there's going to be five five more years of famine, and he will be able to support them and give them the sustenance to be able to survive. He says, Go to our father, tell him that I'm a ruler here now, and that I will provide for you all if you come down here. Paro finds out about this great news. He sends wagons full of provisions for Yaakov and also gifts. Yosef also gave gifts to all his brothers, and to Binyamin he gave extra portions of gifts. They go back to the land of Canaan, and they tell Yaakov this great news, and Yaakov's spirit was revived, and he says, I will go and see him before I die. And on the way down, before they even leave the land of Canaan, they stop in Beersheba, where God appears to Yaakov, and he says, Have no fear. Have no fear of descending to Egypt, for I shall establish you as a great nation there. I shall descend with you to Egypt, and I shall also surely bring you up, and Joseph shall place his hand on your eyes. Yaakov continues on the trip, and the Torah then lists all of the 12 Shvatim, the 12 tribes, and all of Yaakov's descendants, the total number that the Torah gives is 70, which includes Yosef's two sons that were born in Egypt. Yaakov sends his son Yehuda ahead of them to the land of Goshen, where Yosef said he would set them up, and Yehuda's job is to prepare for their arrival. Yaakov and his entourage finally arrives in Egypt, and he has an emotional reunification with his beloved son Yosef. Yosef brings some of his brothers to meet Paro. Yaakov comes to meet Paro. Paro asks Yaakov the fateful question, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Yaakov responds, The days of the years of my sojourns have been 130 years. Few and bad have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not reached the lifespans of my forefathers and the days of their sojourns. And Yaakov blesses Paro before he leaves. The end of the Parsha describes Yosef's providing provisions, selling provisions to all of the Egyptians in the subsequent years of famine, and how eventually all of their wealth and property has been given over to Yosef in exchange for food, and eventually they all become serfs of Paro, and that's how the Parsha concludes. I want to circle back to the beginning of the Parsha 
to Yehuda's plea to Yosef to release Binyamin and take himself, Yehuda, in his stead, one thing Yehuda says when describing Binyamin's relationship with his father is that his brother died, meaning Yosef died, and Binyamin is the only son he has left, meaning from Rachel. But there's a problem with Yehuda saying that Yosef died because he didn't die, and they did not know that he died. They sold him as a slave, so why does he say that Yosef died when he doesn't know that's true? Rashi says that Yehuda knew that what he was saying might not be true, but he said this out of fear that if Yosef would know that there's another brother, then he would ask them to bring that other brother to meet him, just like Yosef did with Binyamin, and that would lead to unwanted complications. Rabbi Mer Simcha of Devinsk, who lived from 1843 to 1926, who was a communal rabbi, author, and prominent leader of Eastern European Jewry in the early 20th century, writes in his book Meshech Chachma that Yehuda really did think that Yosef had died. And he based this belief on the assumption that if Yosef would have been alive, there's no question that he would have sent some type of notification to Yaakov of his whereabouts or that he's okay. The fact that Yosef never did that is proof that he's not alive. So he really thought that he was telling the truth and what he was saying was accurate to the best of his knowledge. These two different approaches to understanding what Yehuda says, I find to be interesting. But a particularly enlightening message that I find here is that we see from Rabbi Meir Simcha that we have to be careful about how we talk, meaning he explains Yehuda's words that Yosef, that he assumes Yosef to be dead, based on a careful calculation that Yehuda made, and he felt that what he was saying, he could say with absolute certainty, or else he would never have said that. Oftentimes, we express ideas or make claims to fact that may not be accurate. So before we say whatever we want to say, we learn from Yehuda that we have to make sure. Now, Yehuda was wrong, but to the best of his ability, he ascertained that Yosef was dead, and that's the only reason he said it. Only have time for one more quick thought today, and that is that when we mentioned earlier that when Yosef revealed himself to his brothers, he commanded all of the Egyptians in the room to leave. Rashi explains he did not want his brothers to be embarrassed in front of others. And this, of course, reminds us of how sensitive we have to be to others' feelings. I saw a beautiful story, a very funny story, about Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Once he went to a wedding, and it's common in Orthodox weddings in the Northeast to have people walking around sometimes and collecting funds for charities or for themselves if they're needy. There's a certain public element to certain celebrations. So he was walking through the wedding hall with one of his family members, and they passed by a person who was at the wedding who was generously distributing donations to people that made appeals to him. And when Rabbi Feinstein passed by, this man thought 
that Rabbi Feinstein was a mashulach. He thought that Rabbi Feinstein was collecting charity. So he handed him a contribution. So Rabbi Feinstein accepted the money and he said to the person that was with him that now what he has to do is go around to every single table at the wedding and collect money for supporting poor people that are getting married. So this person said to Rabbi Feinstein, he said, you don't usually make these type of collections at public events. I've never seen you do that before. So Rabbi Feinstein said, no. He said, since that Tyre Yid, that precious Jew, that generous person, gave me a contribution, and when he realizes that I'm actually Rabbi Feinstein and I'm not one of these people that's making a collection— if I make this effort to go actually make a collection, then he will maybe not be embarrassed and he'll know that he's doing a good thing with his generosity. Thanks so much for listening. I hope to resume full-length podcasts next week. Have a fantastic, wonderful Shabbos.